Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. All right, so every family has secrets. They'd prefer to stay hidden, but where is the line between protecting the ones you love and simple self-preservation? Okay, you just kind of went deep (laughs) right away, which kind of caught me off guard. So I don't think I'm going to answer that. I'm going to take a pass on that, and I'm going to let somebody else, like probably our first guest, um, answer that question. So we're going to hold that thought, but before we get too far into our show, we want to remind you that you're listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty White and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships, and we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, today we have author of Shadows of Landenbrook Manor, um, Melanie Dobson, and she is the award-winning author of 14 historical romance, suspense, and contemporary novels. Two of her novels won Carol Awards in 2011, and Love Finds You in Liberty, Indiana won Best Novel of Indiana in 2010. Melanie and her husband, John, enjoy living in the Pacific Northwest with their two daughters, and when she isn't writing or playing with her family, She enjoys exploring ghost towns, line dancing, and reading historical fiction. So welcome, Melody. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's funny. We were just chatting um, with our sound engineer who is from Texas, and we were were doing the boot and scootin' line dancing thing, so it sounds like you you would do well in Texas. (laughs) I love dancing in Texas. (laughs) I have been there, and I have danced, and it's a blast. I live in Oregon now, and they don't do so much line dancing out here, so I miss that. That's funny. Yeah, you have to bring your umbrella, I guess, if you do line da- dancing outside. Well, okay. So exactly. Exploring ghost towns. Um, of, of course, there are, there's a lot of intrigue to that. And tell us why it is intriguing to you. You know, I have always just loved ghost towns. And I think what it is, it's that writer in me that that loves to just wonder the what if question. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll go to these old towns and there'll be empty houses. And, you know, some of these old houses I've been into, they have furniture and they still have clothes in the closet from like 100 years ago and, you know, old newspapers and all of this. And it just always makes me wonder what happened to these people? You know, who are they? Mm -hmm. Who Mm -hmm. were they? What happened to them? And it just gets my mind going. So as a fiction writer, it just really inspires me in in regard to story as far as, oh, this this would make a good story. So I just, I've always loved it. My husband husband says we need a bumper sticker that says I break for cemeteries and ghost towns (laughs) (laughs) because I do. We speak them out whenever I can. Okay, have you heard of Jerome, Arizona? Um, I haven't. Okay, the Jerome, definitely you need to make that one of your stops because they have some really, really neat historical homes that 
supposedly there's all kinds of, you know, the ghost stories that, that take place there. So if you're ever in Arizona, Lisa and I will, will host you. Of course, Lisa will. (laughs) I love it. Well, you know, it's interesting, Melly, a few years ago, Patty and I were um, in a little town in in Northern Arizona and we were having lunch and we were just kind of, you know, striking up a conversation with our server and it was, the the restaurant was in an old house and like probably from from the 1800s, which to us in Arizona is old. And so she was telling us about a little bit about, I don't know why, how it came up, but it came up that this, that there's supposedly a ghost that roams the halls in this place. And, uh, there's a room. And of course, Patty and I were like, okay, can we see it? Can we, can we like go there? And so she's like, well, you know, just hang for a little bit. Let me see what I can do. So she comes back later after our meal and she takes us up these stairs, like these creaky little stairs up to this room where supposedly the ghost has been sighted. And, and seen things, but, you know, we didn't have any ghost sightings, but it was kind of cool to like, okay, we want to, you know, you, you, there's something very intriguing about that. As soon as somebody goes, yeah, it's kind of haunted and there's, the, you know, they've had ghost sightings. You're like, okay, I want to go and explore yes. with you. So yeah, there's something because you do, you go, okay, what happened here? And if these walls could talk, what were, what were the conversations that were going on in these places? So we are with you with that. We're leaning in. What if? Well, and of course, as believers, you know, it's like, okay, there, you know, ghosts really, when it comes down to it, you know, it's a very yeah. demonic thing when you, when you start going there. But, but we want that, that 12 year old slumber party, you know, ghost story intrigue. We, right. it's, it's easy to, to go that route and not go with the reality of the spiritual realm of what's really taking place. But, um, you know, you, you have in your book, you're, you're talking about these secrets Speaking of, uh, you know, ghost towns and uh, many secrets, especially family secrets, they prefer to stay hidden. Um, and my, my opening question, uh, talking about that, tell us a little bit more of that intrigue. And I'm just a personal question. Or do, you, do you live or you come from a, a generations of family secrets yourself to even intrigue you enough to write about these family secrets? You know, and that's a really interesting question, and it is. Whenever you write a novel, you really have to dig deep inside yourself and inside your own family, and, you know, absolutely. I think every family has, you know, secrets that they keep, and a lot of times, and in this story in particular, um, it's about the, the woman who's keeping the secrets is trying to protect her family. So a lot of times these secrets are kept in order to seemingly protect the people that you love. So I understand that, and that's why I really related to this character who's trying to protect her daughter and her granddaughter and the generations, you know, after that. However, the problem in the story and, you know, so much of what happens in real life is often that these secrets that we think are protecting people are really hurting them because they don't necessarily know the truth of what happened in the past. And so the mm-hmm. understanding isn't there. And so, yeah, so it's just this real, I don't know, you know, introspective as well as just sort of digging deep and figuring out why families keep secrets, why, why my family, why other family, why we have secrets, why we don't share them with the generations to come, and then what happens, and in this novel, what happens when you do finally share the secret or the secret comes out, and how a lot of times, you know, God can use that to bring healing into our lives and into our families. Yeah, you know what? I find that so intriguing because you're right. So many times those secrets are there because we do want that self-preservation. We want to protect Mm -hmm. so many times rather than 
um, you know, bring the darkness to light so we can learn Mm -hmm. from it so we can move forward. And, um, especially as you get older, you're, you're always in that mindset of, wait, what, what am I not supposed to tell? (laughs) Yeah. Like, who am I not supposed to say what to? And, uh, it, it gets kind of crazy. Whereas if you just have the truth exposed many times, rather than protecting that individual, it, it comes out in the, in the long run. Mm -hmm. Um, that is the protection is just bringing it all to light. Yeah, that's the hope is that, you know, so often we keep these secrets because we're ashamed, we're embarrassed, we're ashamed of maybe a decision we made in the past or something we did. And just the beauty of God's redemption, that's what the story is ultimately about. But, you know, just the redemption that we could have for that when we share the truth and when Christ is able to come in and heal that and redeem us and then transform us and make something out of it. You know, it's the beauty from ashes. I love that analogy of taking these ashes, this fire that's burnt out, and just creating beauty beauty from that. And that's what the Lord does in our lives. And that's what I'm hoping that the story, you know, demonstrates is taking that pain and that shame and those secrets and making something beautiful out of it. Mm. Well, Well, you you use an analogy of butterflies um, Mm -hmm. and you kind of weave that through. And I know a lot of people, you know, butterflies are kind of a, you see a lot of tattoos that have butterflies. Butterflies mean mm. things to a lot of different people. How did you choose this theme and how did you kind of weave it to tell the story? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's one of these books that the theme sort of found me. <laughs> I didn't, you know, set out with the theme necessarily. I had this character in my mind. I had, you know, this beautiful young girl, this artist who today would probably be on the autism spectrum. Um, but back then, you know, the, the book starts out in the 1950s, so they had no idea back then really what that looked like um, and what autism spectrum looked like. And so I've got this character who's troubled but beautiful and just so creative. And so as I'm working through with her character and writing about her, just her love of beauty and of art, um, one thing I realized as I'm writing her, oh, she loves butterflies. And just the picture of this butterfly in her character, as far as an individual, you know, somebody who's in a cocoon and is really protected and nothing can happen to them because her parents are keeping her wisely, very protected and in this cocoon. And then things start happening and some of it's painful, you know, kind of breaking out of that cocoon can be painful and coming out. And then ultimately just the transformation of coming out of that cocoon and that shelter and just having this beauty and the ability to fly. So, you know, the book does refer a lot to the butterflies because that's her passion, painting these butterflies. Um, and that's, that's sort of the reason that I, that I ended up picking the butterflies is just because of this picture that I wanted to portray of transformation. And also, as I was writing the book, I learned a lot about butterflies. As I do with every book, I learn a lot about my subject matter. And um, I didn't realize that butterflies need light to fly. I didn't hmm. know that. You know, I, you know, moths and stuff come out at night, but you don't see butterflies flying at night because they need the source. They need the light to fly. And so I just love that picture, how, you know, we all need the Lord, our light, to be able to soar and fly and fly in life. And um, so I love that, and I, I weave that through the story as far as this, uh, just needing this light in the order to be able to transform and then and fly. That is a really a beautiful picture, and I didn't realize that 
that butterflies needed the light either. That even makes it even more significant because mm -hmm. you can do a lot of, um, you know, parallels with that. And because yeah. um, I, I always have been intrigued with butterflies. And, and in fact, we have a, like a, I don't know if it's called a sanctuary here in Arizona, a huge open place where you, butterflies are just flying around. You can kind of integrate and walk among them and see all the different kinds. And it's one of those places that I've been mm -hmm. wanting to go see. And because and, it is intriguing and, and just the, 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 the beautiful colors and, and knowing the story of how they emerge. And it is, it's very cool. Well, um, we're going to have yeah. to take a break in just a, a few uh, seconds. But I um, want to talk a little bit because your character, Libby, um, you kind of said if she had been born in modern times, she could have fallen on the autism spectrum. And I know a lot mm -hmm. of families dealing um, with that. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Golf is a good way to supplement your fitness program, but watch out for golf injuries. The most common occur in the low back, elbows, shoulders, hands, and wrists, and are defined as either cumulative from overuse or acute traumatic injuries. The impact and stress of the repetitive motion of the swing is sometimes hard on the muscles and joints. The Mayo Clinic says it's important to consider ways to reduce your risk of golf injuries. They recommend that you warm up first. Be sure to start slowly, work up to your desired level of play, strengthen your muscles to protect your joints, and reduce your risk of injury and build up your endurance. Focus on flexibility and keep your muscles pliable, strong, and flexible. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we 
we've been chatting with Melanie Dobson, and Melanie worked in publicity and journalism for more than 15 years, including two years as a publicist for the Family Channel. And prior to launching her own public relations company in 1999, Melanie was the corporate publicity manager at Focus on the Family. Um, And we just went into commercial break with Drop This Big Bomb About Autism, and um, I know it's kind of a, a crazy, you know, decade. It seems like so many things have been coming out about autism. I think it's like one out of every 74 babies being born. They're realizing have some type of, um, you know, fit into the autism spectrum. So th- that's really interesting, Melanie, that you um, chose for one of your characters um, to perhaps maybe have some type of autism there. So. Tell us a little bit more about that and why you chose to include that aspect, you know, as part of your story. Sure. Yeah, we, my daughter, my oldest daughter is on what's called the spectrum. And those who are familiar with the autism spectrum know it's a really wide spectrum. And so, you know, we've just been on this journey of learning about her and all of her unique gifts and her unique talents. Um, But it's also a struggle. And as parents who have kids on the spectrum know that sometimes you're just scratching your head, especially before you have a diagnosis. You feel really guilty. You know, what am I doing wrong? I'm trying Mm -hmm. all of these parenting techniques. I think I'm doing everything right, and it's just not working. And you realize you need help. And then once you have a diagnosis or you know what's happening, oh, it's just such a relief because you know, you know, it's not my fault. I'm not doing something Mm -hmm. wrong. It's something that we need to learn about and work through together and help my child succeed. So we've um, been on a journey, our journey, and then with other um, friends who have children who are autistic or on the spectrum and just have learned so much. Um, but this book, of course, it starts out in history. And, you know, you see the character in 1950, and then you see the character in present-day circumstances because it goes back and forth between two different time periods. But I was fascinated. You know, now we have, like you said, especially in the last 10 years, we've done a lot of research, and we know a lot more about autism and what that looks like and how to help kids that um, face that challenge. Um, but back in the 1950s and 60s, and especially in England where my story takes place, they had no idea what they were dealing mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And it was really sad because as I did my research and I talked actually to a lady there who worked in um, special education in the 1950s and 60s and just hearing you know, her, her stories and how these kids would be sent away or just they would be considered odd. You know, nobody would really try and help them, so to speak. But also... During that time period, people blamed the child's um, challenges on the mom. So moms were called refrigerator moms back in the 1950s and such. And, oh, how sad that is to not only have this guilt and this weight of, oh, I'm trying to love my child and help them. I don't know what's happening. And then to have doctors say it's your fault because you're emotionally, you know, not a healthy person and you're a refrigerator mom. So, Anyway, all that to say, this story is about a mom who has those struggles and then her daughter who has this challenge and just trying to help her daughter succeed even as she's wrestling with some issues of her own. And she's a loving mom. She's not a mom. She's not a refrigerator mom, even though back then they would have 
um, blame this, so to speak, on her. Okay, you, you that's interesting. I've never heard that term before, um, a refrigerator mm-hmm. mom. I, I, I want to go into that. When you were saying yeah. uh, about the autism spectrum, Lisa and I were just chatting about that before um, the show, and I was saying there was there was some quote about what would happen if the autism gene was eliminated from the gene pool, and mm-hmm. uh, you know you'd have a bunch of people just standing around chatting and socializing and not getting anything done because <laughs> there's something to be said for you know like it, those with Aspergers that are so focused on mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine you know I'm the opposite where it's like I would love that laser focus at times but. The refrigerator mom, what, why would that term come into play? Yeah, that term came into play back then because they, in essence, doctors at that time thought it was the mom's fault that the child had autism. So they thought the mom was cold, which was the whole refrigerator oh, term. Cool. Yeah, their emotional it. coldness cure their child was the reason that their child was socially um, not the same as other kids. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh. interesting. Yeah. So it's the ice mom. And because of that, yeah. like, oh, okay, so then the child yeah. is not giving you eye contact or socially, exactly. you know, having some awkwardness that's taking place. Okay, that's that's yeah. really interesting. You know, so it's always interesting how we are so quick to label things, you know, and then we put these labels mm-hmm. on people and then we have these and we put them in a box when we have label and, you know, being around a few children that are on the spectrum, as you said, there's something so sweet and beautiful about them mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and coming to appreciate just their giftedness, their temperament, they see life differently. And I, I so value that. Um, and just how you can even see it in their eyes. Like, okay, what are you thinking? You're thinking deeper. You're thinking differently. I I'm almost envious of that. You know, it's like they process life differently. And, and it's like, we want to label them and say, you know, say either it's bad or good, but it's like, it's so, it's beautiful in some ways, you know, very, we come to appreciate, how do we appreciate different and not label it and put it in a box, you know? Yeah. No, I love what you said because it is it's beautiful when you get to know these kids and just see their hearts and their creativity and it sort of shatters that box that you mm-hmm. put around them because you realize that, you know, God created them just to be so unique. And so, you know, in our culture, we don't necessarily celebrate or appreciate uniqueness mm-hmm. <laughs> as probably mm-hmm. we should are these kids that are so creative that maybe don't fit in a typical classroom, you know, situation. But yeah, it is beautiful. And I so appreciate hearing you say just your appreciation of that. Yeah, it, it is. It is fun because it's like, I mean, we just have so much to learn just what we, um, just in processing life and watching people. I think, um, mm-hmm. cause we're quick to put people in categories and boxes instead of like you said, seeing that uniqueness and how beautiful that uniqueness can be in people and not looking at it as a, as a liability, but as like, this is a huge asset in some ways, just because it's different or unique doesn't mean that, um, it's bad. And I think we want to, we're so quick to want to put things in a bad or good category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Yes. 
Well, okay. So then you, you, in your, your story, because your story just sounds so intriguing on many levels. And I love how you, you combine, I just, I would love to know how your brain works, you know, <laughs> talking about brain, it's like you're, you're intrigued, you have no, you going into things, you know, and, and we always tell people that if you got inside of our brains, it's a very scary place, but um, <laughs> this sounds very intriguing. Um, but just, you know, developing characters and, um, you know, and, and having come up with these different traits, how do you, does that that um, does that come from your own inquisitiveness um, and curiosity on something that you want to learn about it? So you're like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna incorporate this into my storyline. Yeah, a lot of times that is the process, and you know, my process is so messy. It's not, you know, again, you talk, you know, you mentioned the box. It's not, it's not a neat boxed up process. It's a very messy process as I put together a book. But a lot of times it is. It's a topic that I'm intrigued about. I'm intrigued about the autism spectrum because of personal, you know, reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued about England. I love, and this book, you know, takes place partially in this old manor in England. And so I'm intrigued, obviously, about old houses and the stories that they have. And if these walls could talk, so to speak, like you said, and mm-hmm. the stories about that, if, you know, the walls of this old manor could, could talk. But, yeah, you know, my characters, they come from all different places and plot lines, you know, things will hit me and be like, oh, that would be great, you know, in this story. And so it's not mm-hmm. something that I outline out neatly and sit down and write. It's really a process for me as I get to know, and it sounds funny if you're not a fiction writer, but you do. You get to know your characters and you start brainstorming and thinking about how it's going to happen. And honestly, my process of writing, it's very much a, um, a process of worship in a sense for me. It's very much, you know, just praying and communing with the Lord and asking for direction. And you sometimes feel like a scribe in a sense where you're just like, all right, God, I want to put down your story and help me to do this. And sometimes it just takes flight. And it's such a beautiful thing when it does take flight. You know, sometimes you're just kind of stuck. You're sitting there staring at the blank page and nothing seems to be happening. And then other days, it's like the butterfly just sort of takes wings and you're just writing and writing and it's coming. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. I, mm. I enjoy the process. That, that, sounds, that sounds like fun and engaging and um, mm-hmm. it's such an extension of you. That, I mean, that's a, that's a cool thing. It doesn't sound like it's a burden and a chore. I mean, I know sometimes mm-hmm. it is, but sometimes when you can look at it and frame it that way, that's really, that's really sweet. Okay, we have just two minutes. And in those two minutes, um, just, um, again, how can people find you? And we're going to ha- we have it on our, our homepage at girlfriendit.com. And then also, if you can just say, cause a lot of your favorite characters that you like to write about are heroes and heroines who sacrifice their lives. And we just wrote a postcard about heroes and everyday ordinary mm-hmm. people who can become heroes. Tell us your, your slant and your take on heroes. And heroin. Yeah, absolutely. So um, people can find me at my website. It's MelanieDobson.com, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, Dobson.com, and on Facebook. And then, yeah, I love to write about ordinary people, like you said, who do just extraordinary things. And some of my characters are, you know, people who sacrifice, you know, like in World War II or sacrifice their lives, actually, for other people. 
But I think that it's always heroic when somebody, you know, is willing to sacrifice their time for somebody or their resources, their money, their talents, those sort of things. Um, and I just, I love that when somebody is willing to look outside themselves and look for somebody who needs help and then be willing to make a sacrifice. So yeah, all my stories have some sort of sacrificial theme in this, in them, in this one, you know, definitely included in that. Well, and that that is so encouraging and inspiring because we do need um, just ordinary, you know, ordinary people to be the heroes because mm-hmm. they are. Absolutely. And if you start looking around and seeing that, and it is inspiring and encouraging, you don't have to be on the front page of the paper to be a hero. And so thank you, Melanie, for just joining our show and having this conversation and just challenging us in so many different ways. And we just encourage our listeners to get your book and to, to read and engage in the story. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a -a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Do you enjoy push-ups, lunges, crunches, and pull-ups? Does a workout full of intense mix of strength training and aerobic elements thrill you? If you like vigorous workouts with bursts of forceful activity alternated with intervals of lighter activity, check out boot camps in your area. Boot camps are popping up everywhere, from parks to schools to YMCAs. The popularity of this workout is building, and more Americans are heading to boot camps for their fitness. The Mayo Clinic reports that the average exerciser burns approximately 9.8 calories per minute during a typical boot camp workout, which makes it a good activity if you're trying to lose weight. It also helps with endurance. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we went on a 
commercial break talking about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And that is exactly our next guest. She does amazing things. Um, Dr. Natalie Eastman, she just has written a book. She's the author of Women, Leadership, and the Bible, How Do I Know What to Believe? A Practical Guide to Biblical Interpretation. Um, And well, welcome, first of all, Dr. Natalie. How are you today? Well, I have a Can you hear me now? Oh, there we go. Okay. Hi. Sorry. Hi, Patty. Hi, Lisa. Sorry about that. I had accidentally muted the phone. Yeah, that's (laughs) something I would do. Um, Well, I I have to tell you, uh, Dr. Natalie, that uh, (laughs) when we we talk about, speaking of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, we've shared this story before, but it just always makes me chuckle because it was probably a decade ago and it was our very, one of our very first radio shows that we were at guest um, on for, for somebody else and they I said, know where this is going. This is not good for me. <laughs> they asked us a question, and Lisa said, well, I would like to quote Patty. There's a saying that, that she says about, you know, we, God um, lets ordinary people do extraordinary things. But instead, she said, we're just extraordinary women doing ordinary things, you know, for God or something like that. <laughs> serving an ordinary God. Oh, yeah, serving. We're extraordinary women serving an ordinary God. And and it was just so comical because she quoted Patty on that. And, um, or misquoted. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) It it was just, I love it. You know, that's, that's why we do radio. But anyway, um, Natalie, you are just doing some amazing things, and uh, we were talking about just everyday heroes and sacrificing sacrificing their lives for someone else. And when we we say the term sacrificing, you know, so, so many times people think, oh, we have to die for the cause, but many times it's just sacrificing is not being so self-absorbed. It's just... Um, you know, looking beyond yourself going, you know, what are the needs out there? So t- tell us a little bit about, you, you write in, in, in your book about what, as women, what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of facing? What are we afraid of overcoming? You know, our fears and, and hesitations. So I just dove right in. I didn't even say, hey, how are you? Is it raining there? Or is it 180 <laughs> degrees like it is in Arizona? So first of all, how are you? And then we can dive into that question. Very well, thanks. We're experiencing a plummet in temperature here. Well, plummet for me because I am from Houston, and I love my hot weather, and everybody around me loves fall, and I kind of go into it with gritted teeth. But um, I have to admit it's beautiful today. It's, uh, it's nice and cool, and, you know, you feel like going to football games, and you feel like starting to cook chili and, you know, that kind of stuff, which you kind of never feel like in Arizona. Well, not, not so much right now. Well, maybe the football part. The football part, yes, but not the cooking chili part. But, it's um, funny that you say that because uh, we have plummeted as well from 108 to 107 today. Boy, that's um, so a real dip, isn't it? <laughs> it's really hard to celebrate fall. And and Lisa and I, I own summer, so I'm all about everything summer. And Lisa owns fall. She's all about the pumpkin and the pumpkin spice everything. So this is kind of comical because uh, it's it's kind of hard to drink a hot latte 
in 107 degrees. <laughs> I, I hear you. I'm sure, I'm sure, Lisa, that you'll find a way, though, right? Oh, I've already found a way, believe me. Yes, oh, I've well, already, for you. yes. Yeah, fall has <laughs> fallen on my house, whether it feels like it or not. So, yes. <laughs> oh, I hear you. Well, Patty, to, to, I, I'm a jumper in as well. So I, when you asked that, um, I was already, there were things that came to my mind. And because the thing that I was, you know, preparing to address today was fears, really. And the fears that women, and I am prepared to address that, but um, fears women face when they're exploring the Bible, what the Bible says about um, controversial topics and how they navigate or don't navigate um, different interpretations because of their fears. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. when, you, when you were doing your intro and talking about extraordinary people doing extraordinary things, um, it's it's a very interesting thing. Um, our whole pursuit, or our whole, I don't know if we would call it a pursuit, we don't really pursue walking through fears and trying to get through the other side. We kind of, well, we avoid them. You know, we try to avoid mm-hmm. the things that cause us to be fearful. But it is for every person's personal journey of wading through and facing their fears and trusting God enough to come through the process that it takes to work through those fears and come to the other side, what, you know, whatever, you know, the other side of the fears, it's an extraordinary thing in every person's life. And there's, you know, it needs to be acknowledged, you know, so whether the person is acknowledging it to themselves or, you know, they share with a friend or a small group or whoever, you know, to say, I am muddling through this and, and, you know, and it is hard. And, uh, but so it's extraordinary. Every act of courage in that way is extraordinary. Mm. Well, and you know what? It it is, I, I, I really kind of like this, not kind of, I do like this topic and talking about this because I think it's easy to get comfortable and what we have um, just kind of adopted in our, even our spiritual journey. And we don't even see our spiritual journey as evolving. Cause I know some things I used to hold on to that I thought was really true the reality. I, I come to see a little differently it, and, and just kind of evolving. And, and it's brought me closer in my relationship with Jesus. I see him, I see him deeper. I see my worldview has expanded and so many deep things, but I've had to let go of some, some things that I held on to, and I've had to look in and go, why did I hold on to that? And where, where was the source of that? So just even looking at that, it's like on that journey of, you know, and, and asking ourselves questions with that, I think is, is very significant, but I don't think it's easy for a lot of people to do that. Oh, it's, what? it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not easy for any of us. <laughs> well, and you know well, what? Know, maybe, maybe two of us. Yeah. In the entire world. <laughs> well, but you know what's, what's, what you find a lot of times is, is when people are on their journey and evolving and, you know, wrestling with some things. And, you know, what, what do I really, you know, what is God teaching me or showing me in this? And then a, a lot of times people that can become critical of others and their journey, you know, and you can't believe that or you know, questioning why you're evolving. So you see a lot of that even inside the, um, 
you know, the Christian world um, as people are on their journeys and and doing. And that is really hard because it creates this tension. And um, can you just kind of address that a little bit? Oh, for sure. Um, You know, if I don't know if you remember from our last interview, um, me talking about how I researched for my book, I interviewed 38 women um, leaders in various capacities. And, and when I say interviewed, I mean several hours um, long interviews and, you know, 40 page transcripts kinds of things. And, inter- and did an in-depth survey with over 500 respondents of women from across a, a real variety of faith traditions and backgrounds all within Orthodox Christianity. Mm-hmm. And what I learned was that women experience a ton of fear, um, different kinds of reasons for hesitating, looking into things honestly, um, looking into scripture honestly, and looking at and hearing even even hearing different interpretations um, honestly and without you know uh, just trying to hold up a different interpretation, one that's outside of your particular community's um, belief system or comfort zone, and uh, and just kind of batting it away like a straw man argument, mm-hmm. straw man argument, and instead you know instead. Um, uh, looking at it honestly and and saying, well, what is this really saying? What not? What am I trying to make it say? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of women have a, a lot of fears uh, in that area. They they. I mean, I can I can name some of the fears that women named to me. Would you guys like to hear some of those? Sure. And we have two minutes. We take a break. So I just want you to be aware of that because okay, I great. We totally do. Yep. I'll just list. Some of these, and then we can talk about them a little bit more after the break. Okay. Um, and uh, but I will say that I want to get to like what is the key for moving through fear. So, but let me just name some of these. You know, uh, and these are just a few of the many. But it's the whole "what if" monster. You know, what if? What if they're right? Mm. And worse yet, what if I'm wrong? You know, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for the church? What does that mean for my community? What just what does it mean? Um, Women uh, fear controversy. Surprise, surprise. We are the gatherers of people, typically speaking, not the ones who, you know, explode things apart. And again, uh, along the same thing, they fear rejection, um, fearing being misinterpreted. Uh, women, a lot of women, not all, tend to be people pleasing. We fear suffering um, with, you know, pain and sorrow over broken relationships. Um, we fear being misunderstood. We, we don't want to be viewed as someone rocking the boat or being seen as, if I could put quotation marks around this with my fingers, I would, one of them, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who's outside the trusted realm. Um, you don't want, no matter which kind of, uh, let's say, my area of expertise, of course, is the question of women's roles in church leadership. No matter what your position is, if you're on a, a more um, a, 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 the end of the spectrum where women have a kind of fewer uh, leadership roles, then you don't want to be seen as someone who's gone liberal. Or if you are in one where women uh, 
have more leadership roles you don't want to see, be seen as someone who's gone fundamentalist or become a fundy or whatever. You don't want to be misunderstood or labeled or pigeonholed or feared. Or well, and, okay, we're going to stop right there. This is so great. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, keep unpacking this, and then talking how to navigate through. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To get the most nutrients, is it better to cook vegetables or to eat them raw? The answer is not black and white. Some nutrients in vegetables, like tomatoes, are actually enhanced during the cooking process. A study by Cornell University found that heat increases lycopene levels and makes it easier for the body to absorb this vital antioxidant. But research from Food and Nutrition Science found that raw vegetables contain higher levels of antioxidants. Cooking methods decrease water-soluble nutrients such as vitamin C and can rob vegetables of important nourishment for the body. The bottom line? Whether vegetables are cooked or raw, you'll get more benefit and nutrition from the vegetables you eat than the ones you don't. Consuming five to nine servings of vegetables a day is the best approach. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we are back and we are talking with Dr. Natalie Eastman, and she's the author of Women, Leadership, and the Bible, How Do I Know What to Believe? A Practical Guide to Biblical Interpretation. And Natalie, you were just talking about you had done this research, uh, you know, in-depth interviews and over 500 in-depth written surveys for your, your book. And you identified a number of fears that women face when it comes to just even exploring the Bible, and especially about the topic of women in church leadership roles. So tell us a little bit more. You were unpacking some of that, and you really wanted to touch on, like, even those fears that are just paralyzing women. Yeah. The, the um, and I, I, I just want to mention that 
the entire section that I wrote on this for the book, I had to chop it all out because it was getting too long. But I do plan to, uh, I'm creating an ebook for it kind of as we speak. But um, mm. the, the, you know, I, I mentioned the what if monster, um, uh, being the fear of being misunderstood, the fear of broken relationships and the, the various things that, um, uh, fear of being labeled, the various things that women fear that keep them from asking open and honest questions um, and listening to uh viewpoints outside of their immediate community um, and their community's comfort level. Uh, so I mentioned a few of those, and I, I just want to offer a few things that I identified for moving through that, because clearly it's important whether you're talking about, you know, my area of expertise, the whole women's, women in church leadership, and whether, you know, how do you sort that through, honestly, but any question in life, there can be anything. Um, there, there may be a, a mom whose daughter or son has come out uh, as, as uh, living a lesbian or homosexual lifestyle, and they do not know how to approach that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's fearful. And I don't, you know, they might be thinking to themselves, well, I don't, I don't know if I really, you know, I don't know what to think about this. And I am really afraid to even ask because, I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to misunderstand. I don't feel equipped. That's another, another fear that women had. I don't feel equipped mm-hmm. to sort this through on a, on, a, on a rigorous level or on a level that has any kind of respectability or integrity behind it, mm-hmm. biblically and theologically. Um, women feel very, um, you know, like I said, ill-equipped to do that. So I just want to offer a couple of things that I... Um, say to women and just want to encourage all the girlfriend at listeners is the first thing you need to do is to take an honest self-assessment. Hmm. You know, do you, if you believe the Bible to be true and you believe God to be alive and you believe God is who he describes himself to be within scripture, which is most important to you to think biblically about whatever is nagging you or to be safe from criticism or to be safe from being labeled, to be safe from being feeling pigeonholed, to be, you know. So that's clearly a leading question, but mm-hmm. it, that can expose another fear in us. Do we fear answering that question honestly? So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a kind of another level that that question gets at. And, you know, that's the kind of thing you can, you, just, you need to walk through with God and walk through within your a safe community. Um, if you don't have a safe community, walk through with God. Um, and then the second thing is to admit to God what fears you're experiencing and talk with him about the key thing, which is trusting God's indwelling spirit's guidance. This is, this is the key. This is so foundational. This is what I really wanted to get to today. As I was praying this morning about this interview and going over my notes, God just kept saying, it's about the indwelling of the Spirit. It, it, it is about that. God has given us everything we need to conquer those fears. He has done everything in Christ. And Jesus, who was so careful 
to not leave us as orphans, as he said, and you know, as John quoted him as saying, I, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I am giving you the spirit. And he gave us the spirit to do exactly what we need to illumine our hearts and minds, to, to, to help us to understand, to help us to walk through, to give us courage, to be our comforter, to be our guide, all those things. And that is where you can just the best word I can come up with is relax into this because hmm. I mean, fear is like the opposite of relaxing, right? Mm-hmm. You can, you can step into what the spirit is doing and how, how the Lord wants to move you through this because God has given you himself to guide you through this. And, uh, you know, I wish I had time to really unpack that even more for women but that's just, that's the absolute key. And I would be glad to go a little more on that if you want. But I wanted to, then the third thing I identified is to get perspective. And, you know, it's, it's not true in every case, but sometimes in our churches and our communities and ministries and whatnot, it can be a little bit like being in a dysfunctional family. Mm. And you don't, things operate a certain way and, and you don't know it until you stick your head up out of the huddle or you... You step outside of its influences and you, and then you go, well, that, I guess that isn't normal. You know, like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I thought that was normal. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you, you may need to look outside your community to hear voices outside of your community's approved voices in order to have an honest assessment of whatever question is bothering you. Um, and remember, you do not need to fear listening to voices outside of your community. I'm still talking about within Christian, within Christian though. I mean, unless your question is whether Christianity is true, then you have to look outside of that entire sphere. But mm-hmm. the process is the same. And the, and the thing that we can depend on is that God has given us Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds. And you do not need to fear looking elsewhere or listening elsewhere outside of your community's comfort zone or approved, you know, people because God is big enough. Mm-hmm. God is big enough. And then the fourth thing identified is women need to gain the necessary skills to study in depth. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to have better tools. And I, I always... I say this jokingly, but it is frustrating. It's frustrating for for a lot of women. But, you know, women are notoriously undertrained in churches, but they're notoriously overutilized. Mm. So they're, you know, they're they're not expected to say, for example, have a biblical or a theological degree, mm-hmm. but they're expected to be extremely spiritual and expected to lead Bible studies and expected to do all kinds of things, but not expected to have a, a, a biblical or theological foundation. Mm-hmm. And this is even, this is true in ministry position. It's true in, you know, volunteer positions, well, vol, you know, ministry positions, whether paid or volunteer. Um, it's, it's true as for pastor's wives. Mm-hmm. It's often like considered a two for one, you know, and they're expected to be able to speak and, play piano and whatever else they're expected to do, but not have gone to seminary necessarily. So Mm -hmm. because of that, um, 
I mean, it's my heart's passion to help women have the skills that they need that they can move past those fears, that they can move past confusion, they can move past feeling um, muddled or, and, and discouraged or, or just feeling ignorant mm-hmm. and, feel, and giving them the confidence through giving them the tools and skills that they need to be able to study the Bible well and with integrity. Mm-hmm. You've said a lot in all that. <laughs> I did say which, a lot. It's, I, I'm, I'm still <laughs> processing. And, and it's, it's, you're so right. Because as you're talking, I'm thinking of so many examples and so many conversations and so many women, and myself included in all that, because um, I am a pastor's wife. And there are these expectations. And um, I really like how you said we're, we're under-schooled and overused or something like that. And, um, you know, that's just, it's very interesting. I just want to go back because we just have three minutes. And, and again, thank you, Natalie, for joining our show and just sharing your, your expertise and um, all your, your research that you have spent hours and hours collecting and sharing with us to, to benefit from. And just before we, we kind of start winding this down, um, how, again, can our listeners find you? Because this is just such great stuff, um, practical tools that we can use um, just in our everyday life and just in, in our communities of faith. So how can they find you? And then I want you, you said you could expand a little bit more about trusting in the indwelling spirits guiding. So you have like Two minutes to do all that. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Perfect. Um, well, first, how you can find me, uh, NatalieEastman.com is my primary website. My book's website is WomenLeadershipBible.com. And then I have a, um, an online resource that basically follows, that basically presents everything in my book in video form um, for people who don't have the book. Uh, it's called biblicalbreakthrough.com, although that particular URL is still being, uh, I haven't pointed the servers in the right direction yet. But there's an opportunity that's going to come up next month that I do want to let women know about that after October 15th, they will be able to uh, go register for. It's going to be at yourbiblicalbreakthrough.com. And that's Y-O-U-R, biblicalbreakthrough.com. And it's uh, a telesummit for us, which mean, basically means a online series of, of uh, short seminars and just an orchestrated manner. And it's going to be on best practices in Bible study and interpretation for women. Hmm. So I hope that some uh, listeners will check that out after October 15th. But um, yeah, the, 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 in my in my larger book, the Women Leadership in the Bible book, it's everything rests on the the not the principle but the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us guidance. And like I said, that's that's what God was saying today. Uh, just if there's nothing else that you say to women, tell them that, and because that is that is the key for not fearing. Because the Holy Spirit, I mean, there, there's a lot of things the Holy Spirit does, but there's a few things that you can know as you're sorting through various. Exactly. Oh, thank you, Dr. Eastman, for oh, just sharing with thank us you today. For so we're going to go. We'll have more information on our, on our website. Have a great day.
Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the 